Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I'll say it before and I'll say it again. Productivity isn't about learning new apps and tricks that are just gonna help you spin on the hamster wheel faster. It's about making sure that each action you take is moving you forwards towards a goal that is meaningful to you. If you missed my previous episode with productivity expert Tamada Torres, I invite you to listen to that episode first, which is available at optimizeyourself.me slash episode 144. It is a great introductory conversation that's going to warm you up for today's conversation. Last year, writer-director Sam Lavin came to me because she had never felt more scattered. Amidst unemployment and managing the pandemic, she said to me, I am typically a very ambitious person, but I'm finding it hard to stay on projects and get things done. I'm not motivated because I don't know what I should be doing. As an award-winning DGA director, assistant director, and writer who has worked on film and TV projects that include Lucifer, The Mayor, and Criminal Minds, she had come to me as a second AD with hopes of transitioning to the directing chair. And like many hit with a generous dose of perspective when the pandemic hit, Sam realized that she was stuck and she didn't want to be a second AD anymore, but she had no idea what to do next, and that lack of certainty left her paralyzed. She was dreaming of making her next major career transition into becoming both a first AD on major TV shows as well as a writer-director, and most importantly, she knew that she was ready However, she had no clear path or next steps that were going to make her vision become her reality. And this ultimately led to wasted days of scattered attention and feeling busy, but never really feeling productive. After she joined the Optimizer Coaching and Mentorship Program, Sam was able to design a plan that led to her firmly landing in the first AD chair on a major streaming show for Apple, and she is now poised to make the move to director. 
And in today's conversation, we talk about the practical steps that she took to work through all of the mental barriers that were stopping her from being productive and moving her career forwards, how she has now become a focus machine, getting more done in a few months than she had accomplished in years, and most importantly, how you can apply the same principles to build momentum in your career and in your life. No matter the career transition that you hope to make next, even if the rungs of the ladder that you want to climb might be different than others, the path is almost universally the same for all of us. First, you need clarity about your next steps so you don't inadvertently waste years of effort climbing the wrong ladder. And then you need to develop and hone the skills necessary to do the job that you want next. And thirdly, you have to build the right network of people so you can leverage those skills and convince others that you can do the job, even if you might not have the experience yet. All simple, but far from easy. And I want you to learn in today's conversation how Sam did it and how you can do it too. All right, without further ado, my conversation with first assistant director, Sam Lavin. I'm here today with Sam Lavin, and Sam is an award-winning DGA director, an assistant director, and a writer who has worked on film and television projects, some of which include Lucifer, The Mayor, and Criminal Minds, and you are currently working on the Apple TV show Roar as a first assistant director. We have so many things to talk about that brought you to the place where you are now, Sam. You are also a member of the coaching and mentorship program, one of my finest, hardest working students and official part-time job now of being a gym manager. <laughs> and you're like, gym manager, what does that mean? You are, oh, yeah. you basically run what we call the focus gym. And we're going to talk a lot more about what that is and how it's helped and transform where you've gotten today. But you can now officially put that on your resume. Part-time assistant manager at the Optimizer Focus Gym, because you run that place better than I ever did. So I, I very much appreciate uh, you for, for all of that. No problem. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show today, and I appreciate you taking the time to honestly and candidly share your story about uh, how you got to where you are now. Sure. Happy to do it. So where I want to start is just making sure that the audience knows a little bit more about you and your journey. So what I would love to know is a little bit uh, further description about where you were when you and I first met and how you got to that point, because there was a very distinct reason that you came to me initially. I don't even remember how you found me, so you can even talk about that. But I remember in our first conversation, you were in a very distinct spot where you were very stuck. So I want to talk about where that was and how you got there just to get a little bit more background about who you are and what you do. Um, yeah, I was at a crossroads in my career, actually. I've been trying to make a film that I wrote and I had financing in place and we were going to, I was going to direct the feature film and, you know, and, and something happened where, which happens to a lot of people, the financing temporarily, permanently, we don't know, still fell through. And it was something that I put a lot of eggs in that basket. So when I kind of accepted that it was at least going to be a long time before I was going to make that film and I didn't know when. I realized that I'd let some of the other things go by the wayside and I kind of got depressed and realized that, you know, I'd left myself kind of vulnerable to next steps. And then I started looking at completely like, maybe I don't belong in the entertainment industry anymore. Like maybe I should start a blog. Maybe I should, you know, help other people because, you know, do get become an assistant director and because maybe that's just what I'm going to be for, for my career. And that's fine too. And that's kind of how I found you because I was looking, you know, at all these He's going to master teachers about, you know, how to use your skills and blogging and this and that. And somehow, and I don't remember exactly how, if it was Remit or if it was some other website, but somehow I found you. And I was like, well, maybe I'll give this one last shot. I mean, he's sort of entertainment 
you know, in that field. And so I started looking up your stuff and I was like, well, what if I could just focus and figure out like what's really next? And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not time for the block. Maybe I just need to refocus in my industry. And that's kind of what drew me to you and where I was at. Cause at that point I was getting nothing done because I was just feeling really sorry for myself about the fact that Yeah, I probably talked you out of starting a blog like in the first five minutes. I'm (laughs) like, no, don't start a blog and a podcast. Oh, my God. It's such a rabbit hole. Uh, And of course, that's, you know, where I am now. And it's uh, completely ruling my entire life in all the best ways possible. Um, But it's a lot more of an undertaking than a lot of people might think. But just for a little bit more clarity, you have been a writer, you've been a director, you've done shorts, and you've also been uh, a lot up until recently, it was all second AD work correct? Mm-hmm. Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a full-time second AD. I had done some first AD like second units and things like that, but not ever as a full-time first AD. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the mindset and the strategies that got you to now being a first AD instead of, well, trying to maybe sort of become a first AD one day. And now currently already, and I know that this is even foreign to you at this moment, we've talked about this, but you're making the transition to becoming a full-fledged director in television. Mm-hmm. Uh, But right now, firmly feet planted in the first AD world on a huge show, having done many, many shows as a second AD, looking to make the transition to director. And I want to read you a quote from the first five minutes of one of our conversations. And I want to talk about this version of Sam Lavin, and I want to go a little bit deeper into where you were. So you said, and I swear this is first sentence out of the gate after, hi, how are you? It was, I have just never been more scattered. I am typically very ambitious, but I'm finding it very hard to stay on projects and get anything done. I'm not motivated because I don't know what I should be doing. Does this sound like the Sam that I know now that is the assistant manager <laughs> at the Optimizer Focus Gym? No. So so talk to me about the Sam that came to me that said, I am just never been more scattered and I'm getting nothing done. What was going on there? Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was, I felt like I wasn't getting where I wanted to go. And I was starting to question what my goals were. I wasn't clear anymore about what my goals were. I wasn't clear about what my priorities should be. And so, and I didn't know that that was the reason why I wasn't getting things done. Cause I've always seen myself as a huge multitasker. And so why can't I do these 12 things, you know? And, um, you know, I, sh- I learned soon after from joining with, with you is, that that's the most important thing is to be motivated by knowing exactly what the next thing to do is. And that's what I did not have at the time. Yeah. So I, I, there are some people that just have made it a habit in almost an identity that I procrastinate. I just don't get stuff done and I'm just kind of lazy and I'm not motivated, but that wasn't you. You didn't have that identity, but all of a sudden it was kind of an identity crisis where it's like, why am I procrastinating? Why is none of this stuff getting done? And why am I not motivated to move forwards? Is that fairly accurate? Totally accurate. Yes. So what are some of the things that you were doing when you were at that point? Like, give me an example of either something you were trying to do that you couldn't get done or the tasks that you were using to just kind of fill up the space. And I guess I'm moving forwards and I'm busy, but you know, in the back of your mind, like, should I be doing this? Like, I don't know. So what, what, did, what did your daily routine or your week or your month look like at that time? And how are you keeping yourself quote unquote busy? Well, at that point it was so bad that all I was doing was surfing the internet, trying to figure out what, what to do. Cause I, I, I basically would have had to start my whole project, which is called seven on 10, this feature film that I wrote and the one I'm supposed to direct. I would have had to start over. Right. So I would have had to start finding a new producer, finding new financing. So that's like a huge undertaking. 
and I was really feeling kicked in the gut by it at that point. So I wasn't sure if that was even worth doing. And then I thought, okay, well, the only way to get that started is to rewrite. I need to kind of do a polish on the script. And I just wasn't, I just didn't want to. I just wasn't motivated to do that. And then the other thing I had was I had an unfinished television pilot that I also had been writing for like 10 years and just didn't finish that. So that was sitting on a shelf. I thought maybe I needed more material for my reel or my directing reel because I hadn't directed anything in, in a little bit. And I thought, well, maybe I should be doing that. You know, and so there were all these things, these projects that I just was like, they're all huge. How am I going to, I don't know what to start. So then that's why I thought, oh, well, of course I should just start a blog. Why not? Right. That was rational. <laughs> Let's just add one more thing onto the pile of things that I could be doing. No, I mean, I had so many, I've got so many different things that in my life, if I had 12 of them, I'd be doing. So it was really easy to like come up with nine projects, line them up and go, okay, I don't know what to do next. You know? I would assume that the words analysis paralysis would resonate. You're looking at everything. I could do some of this or I could do that. But until you have enough confidence to feel like you're going in the right direction, for a lot of people, you just kind of lock up and end up doing nothing. And I'm a firm believer that that's why Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are multi-billion dollar companies. Because so many people are craving that distraction because it fills the void of this lack of clarity. I don't really know what I should be doing right now, and I'm not engaged with it. So scrolling Instagram and scrolling, and maybe somebody else will motivate me, and we think it's going to be five minutes, and then it's an hour and a half. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so that that that's one of the areas where you and I began was we just need to get more clarity on what is it that you're actually connected to emotionally? What is the direction you really want to go? If you stop uh, worrying about all the things that you should be doing or where people say is supposed to be the next step, or what am I really afraid of? We started to strip all that away and we had some more clarity. So what are some of those things that we would consider the obstacles? This is one of the things that we work through in the program where you had some pretty clear obstacles or limiting beliefs about whether or not you should even be pursuing first ADing or directing or should it be writing or whatever it is. So let, let's dig a little bit deeper into the psychology because a lot of people assume it's all Trello and calendars and all this, all the cool shiny objects. And, you know, I'm a giant nerd and I love my shiny objects, um, but I, I make sure that we have some clarity first. So what are some of the things that uh, that we work through? Well, I thought it was too late to do the track of like first AD to director, even though that's the track that I was on. It, it felt overwhelming because I'm, you know, I felt like I was too old. I felt like I'd been in second for too long. And by the time I finished all the first thing I'd need to do, it would be like a million years from now and, you know, making all these transitions. So I had that roadblock in my mind, you know, getting more stuff on my reel was another one. Did I have enough to be, you know, to direct for TV? Did I have enough on my reel? And, and, and the answer was, I didn't really know. I didn't realize that I didn't know. And so part of that was just finding out, you know, so that was a roadblock. I wasn't sure it was worth starting all over on my film again and, you know, and putting effort into that. I didn't know for sure. Cause I'd already done that. I'd put in a tremendous amount of effort and focus. And that was part of the reason why I got knocked off of my, you know, my ambition. So those were some roadblocks, uh, time, just feeling like maybe I didn't have enough time just in general in my life. And also just in my, in my world, I have a lot of family things going on. So there was that. Oh yeah. And then there was a pandemic. So nothing oh, was yeah. shooting. That happened. <laughs> there was that. You couldn't make a short film. You couldn't go to work. You couldn't, you know, so there was that. 
And how did you feel? And I know that it was uh, during a pandemic, but still knowing you had all of this quote unquote extra time because you couldn't be directing on set. How did you feel about the fact that you had to get out there and promote yourself and connect with people so you could start to make that transition and move up? Oh, yeah. No, I hated that idea. No, that was. was. By the way, hearing that from a director makes me feel so much better because we editors, it's part and parcel. We just want to do the work. Be shut in a dark room. Don't bother me. Don't make me network and go out and meet with people. I just want to be awesome at what I do. But to hear it from a director, I was like, oh, good. It's not just us. So that was uh, that was very encouraging for me. Yeah. No, I think more directors than you think feel that way. So, you know, we just want to do our thing. Like we want to go to set, we want to do our thing. We want to, you know, that's it. We don't really want to go out and choose. So, but yeah, I've never been, I'm a very direct person. And if I'm having a real conversation, like I can talk to you, but in terms of like what I think networking is and what I think a lot of people think it is, which is a bunch of schmoozing and small talk and crap, I can't, I get nauseous at the thought of it. So. And what we're going to redefine what the term networking means, because you you have been through the trenches with me learning how to network for many, many, many weeks and spent, uh, I think it's been almost two months just on identifying a single person and writing a message and building a relationship. Um, so networking, I'm hoping, hoping has taken on a very different uh, definition for you. And we'll get into that a little bit later for sure. Um, but what I'm curious about is if we go back to this point where you at least had the awareness that I lack clarity. I don't know what I want to pursue. And there are a lot of things I could be pursuing. And I now have a lot more clarity on all of the crap in my head that's been stopping me. What was the thing that transitioned you from being, I'm just so stuck and I'm so scattered to all of a sudden taking some action? Uh, working through the limiting beliefs that I had about what I could do and which ones were real and which ones weren't. You know, talking of using that technique of like the domino effect and being able to kind of line up which which thing is the most important thing that if I do it, that everything else will fall more into place and be easier to do and accomplish. Just organizing my uh, my thoughts, my goals in a, in a, in an order, and you know, work, doing those worksheets that were very tedious but important. I appreciate you calling my worksheets tedious on the air, by the way. I really appreciate that. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, I'm I'm saying they're they're made to be tedious and difficult. It's by design. So I take no offense whatsoever. Um, Did I ever promise you when we started this, the process would be easy? No, I never use the word easy. Um, So, you know, is it a little tedious? Is there some busy work? Do you have to do some digging? Do you wish you could just start doing cool stuff in Trello? Of course, but that's not where the money is. So for you, you started to really work through these limiting beliefs and you can uh, can either uh, agree with me or disagree with me. But as you know, you've seen a lot of my similar journey to yours where becoming a first AD and now becoming a director, that's your version of Ninja Warrior if we're talking about the analogy. And for me, working towards Ninja Warrior, one of the most important lessons, if not the most important lesson that I've learned, is when I first started, I realized how much crap in my head I was telling myself that I wasn't capable of. And as I forced myself to start doing it, I realized most of that's actually been bullshit. And I've been lying to myself my whole life about all the things I can't do. And you went through something relatively similar with these limiting beliefs about, oh, I'm too old or I'm a female in the industry. Or, I'm just stuck being a second AD or whatever it is. So I'm curious, was there one specifically where once it kind of hits you that, yeah, I don't know if this is really real, that that was where you started to take off? I think, I think part of it was just talking about being a first AD to everyone. I think I started, my mindset changed. So I started putting it out there in a different way than I'd been to other people. It must be because people have started to respond to me differently because I've been talking about being a first for a couple of years, but I got, I really didn't make any movement that I saw. 
And soon after I started focusing, I, I started talking to people and they started recommending me things and they started really taking it more seriously and, and momentum started to happen. So I think that was a big shift. And then I started working on a script, my script. And like, I, I hadn't been able to do that. Like I just had this, this pilot specifically I started working on. And I just, I think you even advised me, you were like, well, you know, maybe you should work on the networking person. I'm like, no, I'm not going to work on the networking person. I'm going to do this. And, and I did because I was angry at myself for it. And I think part of the limiting beliefs was I had to prove to myself that I could do this thing before I could do anything else. And that thing was this pilot that had been sitting on the shelf for years. And so when I broke, when I cracked that code and I started to actually time block and, and do it, and I actually did finish it, uh, that, that really helped me get that, just that, that, that accomplishment showed me I could do it. Yeah. I, I definitely remember the, the whole period with the pilot script, because at the exact same time that you were coming to this conclusion that, you know what, I think I just need something tangible to show that I can do it, that I can follow through because you were starting to have this identity as, oh, I'm just somebody that just doesn't do anything and I'm scattered and I'm a mess and I'm getting nothing done. And yes, it was a, a short period, but as you continue to do that, it reinforces the belief that maybe I just am now. Maybe I am just somebody that doesn't get things done and the, the days of being productive are over. And I knew that wasn't the case and I knew there was just some crap that was in your head. But having that very physical manifestation of why Watching the block in your brain disappear as all of a sudden, same time as when I was developing the focus gym and you, it started calling you a squatter. Like, <laughs> it's like you just live there. Like you've just taken over the thing and you went from, I've had this thing on the shelf for years and there's just no progress whatsoever. And I don't remember the exact timeline. You can remind me, but wasn't it just like a month or a month and a half and you posted in the group and you're like, Hey guys, finish my script, moving on to the next thing. I'm like, who is this person? Yeah, it was pretty fast. It was, uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, it was faster than I ever thought it was going to be, you know, it was halfway done, but I was like, oh my God. So yeah, I mean, there was that. And then I was doing other things simultaneously, but they were all towards the same goal. And, and I was able to, to put those all together and prioritize them in such a way that I was able to get so much done. It was, it was ridiculous. I mean, I just, I couldn't, and one thing started to lead to another. There was like this magical thing. I don't know if you remember, but there was this AFI uh, application. That's that, right. I do. I had forgotten all about that. I'm glad you bring it up. Tell me more. Yeah, that was a big one because I really, first of all, I didn't want to do it. I was like, why am I going to AFI? Oh my God, I've been doing this for years. Why? But then I started to hear, because I was starting to talk to people again, that it was a really, it could be potentially game changing. So the application was huge. It was just huge. It was, um, you had to, you had to find a short film. You had to do a lookbook for it. You had to, you know, be something that you wanted to direct. It had to be seven minutes long. Like there were 80 million requirements. You had to get like letters of recommendation, blah, like 200 different things. So I went on a mission and I was like, well, I can't write a short script while I'm also trying to do a pilot and rewrite my feature. So I went out and I looked for one and I found a short script. I read about a hundred of them. And they used time blocking to like go through short scripts, you know, short scripts and found one, wound up submitting the package within about two weeks, got a letter of recommendation from a showrunner from a show that I had been on and, um, and did the whole application, turned it in, blah, blah, blah. And um, then they canceled the uh, AFI year because of COVID, right? So I was like, you gotta be kidding me. This is just unbelievably ridiculous. However, what came out of it was the showrunner saw my reel because she had to, to recommend me. And her comments about my director's reel made me realize that I don't, that's not a priority. Like she was like, you're ready to direct right now. Now this is a showrunner who could potentially hire me tomorrow if she wanted to. So getting that feedback from her was like enormous. And I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't try to do the CFI thing. 
Also, the short film that I chose wound up winning a grant for $5,000 from the city of West Hollywood to, to produce the film. So this, this little AFI application that went nowhere wound up being huge for me in other ways. So it's just like, those, all these things happened within this like period of time that I started working with you. We're talking about months, not years. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a tilt Matt. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Yeah, and speaking of the domino effect, right? You just pick that one small domino, you set it up first, you start to line them up in the right order, you knock the first one over, and it's almost like you lose control of all of it. And I remember more than one time getting a message from you either privately in one of our group channels like, this is all your fault right now that I'm up for these three different jobs simultaneously, but I have to finish this thing and I'm in the middle of that. And you you weathered it all well, but you created all of it too. <laughs> I know, it keeps happening. I know. Then, right, then the first AD job started coming in and, and I got some interviews. I got one of the jobs. I did a job as a first. It was fantastic experience. It was my first full real job as first and then I just got another one. So that's also huge, you know? So yeah, it's been, it's just rolling. It's unbelievable. And one of the things that I want to go back to and dig into a little bit deeper is what I believe is the difference. If you were to look at before when you were a second AD, thinking to yourself that I'm reaching out to people and I'm talking to them and I'm looking for first AD jobs and hoping that I can make the transition. If you think about tangibly, the people you were reaching out to, the materials that you were sending them, the conversations you were having, how different are they before you and I work together and after? Oh yeah, very different, very different. I have a level of confidence, not arrogance, just confidence in what, where I'm at in my career, what I can bring to the table is very different. 
you know, partially because of networking, outreach, and what feedback I got from those people. And, uh, and part of it is just from, you know, working through the process and getting better jobs and creating better work, getting feedback on the work that I did create. So yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. Same question, but slightly different. Looking back at what you were doing before when you were a second AD, trying to make the transition to getting jobs as a first, to now that you're doing that, did you believe you were a first AD? No. No. Do you believe that you're a first AD now? I do. And is your career that different? as far as your resume, your experience, all the things you've done in the past. I'm not talking 10 years ago versus now. When you and I met, and I, I don't remember the exact date, but I think it was a little bit less than a year ago, like maybe in May or June. You definitely did not believe that you were a first AD. You would never have introduced yourself as a first AD. And there really was no real sense of confidence that that even made sense or I could do it because of all the limiting beliefs that we've talked about. But even before you landed this giant first AD job on an Apple show, when you started to have similar conversations with similar people, with similar levels of experience, the same credits on IMDb, did you believe you were a first AD? No. But now <laughs> it's no question, right? Yes, that's right. So my belief is that I know that to you, it may seem like there's a whole lot of difference, but I think that if we look at last May versus a few months ago, you're not showing them drastically different work. You're not coming to people saying, look at all the amazing things that I have on my resume that I've done since last May. Very similar work. Your approach is different, but I really believe, and this is something that I talked about in a podcast, uh, actually with a, a chess master, and we talk all about chess in the, um, the networking program, and it's actually one of the first key mindsets is that you have to play a game of chess with your career, with your health, rather than a game of checkers. And before you sit down at the board, you have to already believe that you are going to win and have the strategy to get there. And I think you were struggling so much simply because you didn't believe that you were a first AD. Yeah, sure. That's very true. And now I just, I can't even imagine you not believing that. Like you, you have such a level of confidence about, yeah, I'm just a first AD. It's who I am. Like, would you take a second AD job at this point? No. Would you take a second AD job on your dream show right now? Nope. Can you imagine saying that six months ago? No, there was a distinctive moment. Remember, I, I was on an AD job as a first. I didn't, and it got pushed and pushed and pushed. And I was supposed to do a second AD job on my dream job. And I had to say no. So it was, it actually happened. Yes. And I remember that happening because uh, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like this is uh, probably one of the, the minority career programs where we actually celebrate people saying no and turning down work and turning down paychecks more than we celebrate yeses. Because yeah. um, no takes a lot of courage. Saying yes to a great opportunity is fantastic, but saying no to the wrong one takes a hell of a lot more courage. And it's one of my favorite moments of your entire path was, this is the thing I've been working towards for years and it was offered to me and it's no longer a good fit. So sorry, I'm going to have to pass. Right? That, that's not an easy thing to do. No, no. We had a session about it. I had to, you know, work through it to make sure that I wasn't crazy. But that was the right thing to do. And then I remember having a couple of other sessions where you would come to me saying, I have four different amazing opportunities, but I have no idea which one to choose. So what I'm curious about, 
rather than just talking about all of the awesome progress that you've had, I want to I want to work through one of these and I want to better understand how your mindset has shifted because if somebody else is listening and they're thinking, my God, I'm exactly where Sam was and I have a really hard time understanding what's a good opportunity and what's not. Walk me through the last time and I don't remember the exact details, so maybe you can remind me, but what are the steps that you've learned? Let's say that you couldn't uh, schedule another session and you had to figure out of all these various opportunities, whether self-created or have come from the outside world, what's the process you're going to go through to determine what's the right fit versus what isn't? Well, I think it's really important to be clear on what my the end game is, the, the, the checkmate is. That was working backwards from that. Like one of the things was I was potentially going to do a directing shadowing opportunity, but that opportunity, which is great. I, it is definitely towards my checkmate goal, but that guy who was giving me that opportunity got really busy and it just wasn't happening, wasn't happening, wasn't happening. So it just didn't make sense to wait. So it's kind of a balance between this can bring me to the towards checkmate, but also what's happening right now, what's available to me. So I think it was weighing those two things, you know, also not making a decision out of fear, you know, being clear about where my finances are, what I can say no to, and just prioritizing those things. So that's that's how that last decision got made. So if I'm coming to, let's say that uh, I listen to this podcast and I'm a, a fellow female director, maybe a second a second AD, or maybe I'm even a first AD. And one of my challenges is I really don't know if I should be taking more jobs as a second or a first, or if I should just do my own thing. Should I be directing my own short and making my own way or is that just a waste of time because I need to be quote unquote discovered and I should be working my way into the system and in the machine as a second AD and a first AD? Because I know similarly to the world of editing, it's not like it's a foregone conclusion that you just spend three years as a second AD and then you become a first AD and then they just hand you the director's chair because you're, you're owed it because you put in X number of years. Help people better understand that are not so much familiar with this world of what the track looks like to director. How do you traverse these different uh, options and how do you know which one is the best for you? Well, part of it is, you know, I mean, it's a little of both because I, at least my belief was is that I can get to director from first AD, I maybe even get director to director from second AD, but I have, I also have to be a good director. Like it can't just be a first AD or a second AD. And I think that's where the confusion can be because there are plenty of ADs who think, well, I'm the first I can direct. And that's not always the case. You do have to have the creative tools. So I just had to really assess how much work I already had, how much work in my, you know, how good my reel was versus how much more credibility, networking, and access I needed, you know, and balance those two things. Because if I didn't have the real, then it wouldn't be time to be focusing on first thing. I'd really need to make sure my real was up to here and, you know, and I was ready. Because if you're not ready, then the opportunity is not worth anything. So that was a big part of it. Uh, also, just learning the world and seeing as I went along how people responded to me, just, just what Feedback was coming to me from the world. And that was a big one was this showrunner that I said that I had worked for. And when she said, you know, you're ready to direct, then I, that was the moment that I was like, well, if she watched my reel and she thinks I'm ready to direct, then making a short film is not my priority right now. Make, becoming an AD, meeting more people like her, that's the priority right now. And meeting other assistant directors, which is what I'm doing now, who trudged this path, who are more like me, is really important to me right now and figuring out how to navigate because it is a political minefield 
you know, navigating the AD versus the director, you know, it's not easy, but I think it's doable. And I, and I think I have the right temperament to walk that line. So I think that's something that I discovered. So I would say it's a little different for everybody, but that's the basics of like balancing the creative versus your access. You know, if your dad's Steven Spielberg, then I think you can quit your second AD career. But if not, <laughs> it's a really good way to continue to create access and opportunity while you're working on, you know, if I'm someone that's on the outside looking in, and I'm frankly kind of one of those because I don't really understand set politics and what are the actual day-to-day -day duties of a second versus a first, um, I have a pretty clear idea of what a director's duties are. But let's say somebody's a little bit earlier in their career and they're learning the ropes about these different various positions. One thing that confuses me is you saying, well, you also have to have the creative skills. Why am I not getting the creative skills as a director if I'm doing the second route to the first route to the director? That makes logical sense to me if I've never been in that world. So what creative skills am I not getting that I'm going to have to get on my own by just directing my own stuff? We, you can learn coverage of how to cover a scene, basically. And you, obviously, as an editor, you know that. And um, so you can learn that by ADing, I think, especially first ADing, not so much seconding. Seconding is a lot more scheduling and, and, and more behind the scenes. But as a first, yes, you can learn what coverage, what's basic coverage. You can learn some lighting. You can learn lenses. You can learn, you know, what makes something feel a certain way. But as far as the skill of having a vision for a story, you can watch someone do that all day long. But until you go out and you say, this is my vision, let me make it happen. You have to do that. You have to actually do that and see what works for you. Also, talking to actors, finessing the language of, of getting the performances that you need, um, especially in television, which is also a political dance. You can learn a little bit from being an AD because a lot of directors don't talk to actors as much as they probably should. So you do that, but still when it's your baby, when it's your episode or your short or your feature, you know, you have to have a connection with the actors. You have to have a trust that, that, you know, that they trust you, that they know that you're looking out for them. So there's a, to an extent, yeah, it's a great, it's the best film school in the world. And I've said that since I was a DGA trainee, this is my film school. It's what I said when I got my first trainee assignment and it's been, but I've always made films on the side. I've always done that since I started. I've directed theater, I've directed films, I've directed TV, you know, so I keep myself in it. So it sounds like the, the trajectory is actually a lot more similar than I thought to working in post-production and wanting to go from the assistant route to the editing route, where it mostly needs to be a combination of both. Where there are people, I would assume, and you would know better than I would, especially being in the DGA and with all of your amazing networking skills, um, I would guess that there are directors that go just the short route to the indie film route to BAM. They're going to be directing an episode of TV or they get bigger budget features and they've never been a first AD once. Is that fairly common? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, and not to be, but it's much more common with men. But yes, it's common. So for anybody that's listening, thinking, well, I just, I need to start as a second. It sounds like just as far as math and probability, you would say that's probably not going to be the, the more likely route. Right, right. So really it's about getting out there and learning the craft and just being a director and upping the scale of the work that you're directing as opposed to climbing the proverbial ladder um, from the, the second AD to the first AD to the, the director position. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, right. It's, it's, it's kind of happening at the same time if you're doing the AD route. And if you're not doing the assistant directing route, then yes, it's definitely just scaling up your work. 
And then how about the camera department? This is another area where I'm just completely and totally ignorant and naive. My understanding is that there are some people that end up and land in the directing chair through the camera department because they spend so much time composing shots and they're the ones that figure out the coverage, at least for the directors that don't understand coverage. So how often do you see somebody landing in either a first AD chair or a director's chair that came specifically from camera? Never in the first AD chair. That's not a route at all. I don't think because um, it's two different unions. So I've seen camera operators end up directing and I've seen DPs for sure end up directing. DPs more, you know, I've seen DPs, I've seen firsts and I've seen editors. As far as crew go, those are the biggest three. Sometimes script supervisors actually also because they're, they're actually very similar to what the AD sees in terms of worrying about coverage and really, you know, being very close to the director. They're, you know, we're like the left and right hands of the director, those two, you know, and then the DP. So those are the, that group of people are the people that get probably most likely promoted. Actors also obviously sometimes do. Um, but those are the ones that I see as far as crew would be DP, the first AD, script supervisor, and I've seen editors as well. Now let's dive into the politics of it a little bit more. And I definitely want to get to the networking side of things. We're going to get there shortly, but I want to talk a little bit more of the politics just in general. First of all, managing the politics of showrunners or executive producers versus writers versus directors. There's a whole world that you have to navigate to get in front of the right people. But the other elephant in the room is the politics of being a female that's trying to get into what at least right now is a very male driven industry. And thank God they're starting to realize that there's some fallacy to that. And they're opening up these different programs programs and mentorship to make this happen. Um, but let's talk about some of the politics that you've been navigating in the past that you continue to have to navigate to make this transition into the director's chair. Well, there's a couple things. One of the things that uh, there's, a, there's always been, for some reason, it's a very American belief that the assistant directors are a managerial position, that we are just, we are, you know, logistics people. And maybe that was true at some point, you know, I've only been doing this as long as I've been doing it. But in my experience, that's just not the case. I mean, we're as a first, especially, not as a second so much, but as a first, you're always weighing in on how do we finish this quicker? It just started raining. Which shots are most important to your creative vision? You can't really answer those questions if you're not involved in a creative conversation. You have to know what coverage is needed. You have to understand the show you're working on so that you know, because the director's just a guest, right? In TV, the director's a guest. The AD is there every other episode. So they really know the tone, the flow, how fast the DP shoots, you know, what you can count on, what you can't count on, what who's, you know, the strengths. So you're that person, you're the ally. So yeah, I think there's this common misconception that ADs are not creative. And some ADs, maybe they're not, you know, there are ADs who aren't. They come, they're definitely, their strengths are more the logistical side and that's fine, that can work. I, but there are a lot of ADs who are, who are very creative and who are very collaborative without stepping on the toes of the director. I mean, obviously the goal is to accomplish the director's vision that's right for your television show. That's that's the goal. And that's my goal when I'm assistant directing. So my goal is not to put my vision on it. It's to help the director. But at the same time, obviously, you're, you know how to do that. You know, you, you, you do it all the time. So I think that ADs who are also pursuing directing and who are also out there in the trenches doing the work and writing and directing and creating, it's a really great resource because they're always talking about how do we find female directors? Where are they? I can't find them. It's like, you know, oh, I just bumped into an AD. Excuse me. And you're um, all just like, we're over here. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's happening more and more, but you know, it, as with anything new, especially, 
you know, women in, in positions of any sort of authority, it's always harder to get, get those jobs, right? So even as a first AD, there's a lot less women, more now than ever, but, you know, and directors just the next thing. Now they're, they're talking about all over the place, we want to hire women, we want to hire women, but for some reason, they're creating all these programs, these shadowing programs and these like, you know, all these things to discover talent when you have women in the DGA standing next to you who have talent, who would love you to watch their reel <laughs> right there. So why is it political? Because you, you they need to believe, and it should be true, that your priority is the show and your priority is that you're an AD at the moment that you're, you're standing there and you're on set and you're doing the job. But after hours or whenever, when we're not you know, focusing on that, why, why can't I say, you know, by the way, this is what I've done and would you mind watching my reel and would you consider me for this? I don't think that should be a thing, but it can be a thing. And there are producers who really don't, they don't want to look at it that way. They just don't want to see it that way. I'm not sure why. I don't know where it comes from. In in um, in the UK, particularly, ADs get promoted to director all the time. It's it's a thing. <laughs> so I'm not sure what the block is, but that's the politics of it. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. One thing that I want to get into a little bit deeper that I think is really important to point out is something that you mentioned that most people don't do, which is, especially in America, maybe it's not this way in other countries, but in America, you're just a first AD. And I firmly believe the reason that's probably the way that it is, is CYA. If I'm a producer, if I'm an executive, if I'm a showrunner, I'm just going to cover my own ass because I don't have the belief or the faith that I can take a chance and I can let you make that transition because there's just not enough room in the budget if something goes wrong. There's not enough room with the schedules in the day. So I don't believe that others don't want to give people the chance to, to make the transition or champion them. There's just so little room for error with the way that uh, film and television is designed nowadays. I think it just comes down to people covering their own ass. But – 
I think the key to making any transition, and it sounds like it's just as much the case for first AD to director as it would be for assistant to editor or whatever that major transition is, you have to do your job really well first. And then you have to make it very clear you can be more valuable elsewhere, which is what you're doing now, where you're now firmly in the first AD position on a huge show, but you're already using the language, I'm transitioning to the director's chair. But if you suck as a first AD and you've got a great reel, do you think people are going to give you a shot at the director's chair? No, no, because that's part of what my the credibility of it is. Is like you just said, the CYA element is that I, I'm a first AD. So if I'm a bad first AD, then I'm going to be a pretty crappy director. And that's a trap that I've seen so many assistant editors fall into where they show up in their mind that I am so much better than this and I'm already an editor. That's the wrong version of having the confidence that I can do the job. It's the, it's that fine line between confidence and arrogance. That's the arrogant version of I'm an editor. So therefore I ask them to do things that are assistant editor duties. And the response is, well, yeah, I know that's not a big deal, but Hey, can I cut scenes today? No, because you didn't do your job well first. You demonstrate not that you're a great assistant editor, but demonstrate you're great at what you do and you have amazing attention to detail and you follow through and you exceed expectations, I'm going to assume you can apply that to any job that you're going to do in the future and I'm willing to take a shot. But you can't arrogantly believe you're an editor. You have to confidently believe you're an editor. And I think that's the the switch that you made, not from the arrogance to the confidence, but you went from lack of confidence that I'm a first AD or lack of confidence that I'm a director and now you just know I am those things. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think it's also just getting people's heads around it. It's just an old belief, you know, like anything that those are two different, that those two things can't be combined. Because imagine if you said to somebody, well, imagine combining an assistant director and your most creative director and putting them into one person. Wouldn't that be great? Most people would say, yeah. So it, it, it's really just, you know, getting people to think differently. So speaking of thinking differently, that's the perfect segue to talking about networking. Speaking of lack of confidence to confidence, let's talk about your approach to networking before you and I met. How did that go? How did that work? What was your process? Because you it's not like you came out of nowhere and all of a sudden I just made you when you're this thing. Like you were already very successful doing great at what you were doing. You were just a little bit stuck. But networking is an area that was particularly painful for you. So talk to me a little bit more about your networking process or lack thereof. Well, I don't think there was any process. That's part of it. <laughs> there, was, there was no process. It was like, you know, I, I would try to stay in touch with people that I felt like, you know, I, I either admired or, you know, would be helpful in my career, obviously. I would feel like my, what I do well is that I, I am authentic. I don't try to be somebody that I'm not and I don't try to pretend and, you know, I, I don't have a, a, a talk. You know, I just don't have that. So that, that works, what, but it only get me so far because I didn't know how to continue those relationships or continue those conversations. And um, I didn't have the confidence. Like I could ask somebody for a letter of recommendation and, they, and they'd always do it, but that would sort of be the end of it for me. You know, and I wasn't using, I wasn't, it wasn't a methodical outreach. It was just, you know, if I needed something, I would reach out to somebody and that was it. So it wasn't really advancing me in any way. And I didn't understand how people cultivated those relationships that I saw people go championing other people, especially as directors, because that is a lot of how it happens. I was like, did they do that? Like, I have no idea how that happens. I don't get it. Why not me? I don't understand. So that I'm learning now. What is it that you're learning? What's changing? Targeting. 
the way you laid out sort of how to prioritize this very methodical. I like I what I love about you is that you applied like logic to a creative, you know, sort of amorphous thing, you know, and it gives me, I'm like, oh, so there's actually a method I can use. There's actually a like thing, like I can go through every time and it can work. So I uh I made the list that you taught us how to make, which puts um potential contacts in a priority order in a way that I don't even have to do it myself really. And then it started getting me thinking about what, what do I really need to know from these people next in order to advance my career? Like, what do I really need? And I didn't know what I really needed next. So my next thing was, well, you got to find out. So that helped shift what the priorities were and who would be my next outreach people. Kind of like the way we did with the career, like what is the next thing that you need to do that will move you forward and make everything else easier to move forward? So it's really just applying that to the networking thing. That's what it seems to be. And it's it's not like we've reached out to Steven Spielberg and he's going to let you shadow on set, at least not yet. But you've you've had a couple of nice, small little wins that have moved you forwards in the networking game. So talk a little bit more about those, because I'm a really big believer that you can't put all of your eggs in one basket and say, I'm going to pick this one person and I'm going to reach out and I'm going to share my life story and everything's going to be in the email. And this is my one shot. And if they don't respond, that's it. I'm, I'm not worthy and I don't belong in this business. And it's the opposite. It's tiny wins. So talk about some of the tiny wins that we've accumulated that have helped you move just a little bit further down this path. Well, in terms of taking this in the networking, advanced networking thing now, and it's, you know, even before I wrote the first email and sent it, there were a bunch of weeks where we were doing all this prioritizing. But during those weeks, I felt my mindset start to change because I started to learn things about the way that we could outreach and how it doesn't have to be annoying and, you know, how we can provide value to other people. So that was in my mind. So there were a couple of cases that came up just kind of randomly where I was like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll just send a text to this person and make their day better. And, you know, whatever, you know, so I started kind of using the technique even before I sent the first email and I didn't really even mean to. One of the things that happened was that somebody told me they recommended me for a show. And I was like, Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. That's great. Of course, that came from the prior show that I'd gotten as a first. And so I was like, well, thank you so much. And then it occurred to me, I was like, well, it's been a couple of weeks. Like I could sit around and wait for that person to call me or I could proactively reach out to that person who I don't know at all, but they know me because I've been recommended to them and just say, Hey, I just wanted you to know that I really admire your work. Cause I looked her up and I love the shows that you worked on all completely true and I'm available. And I would love to work with you if the opportunity presents itself. Well, she called me the next day and that's got me on the job that I'm on now. And, you know, I could have ended up at the bottom of the resume pile, you know, just because, because people forget stuff. And instead of that, you know, she was like, oh, that's right. I meant to reach out to that person. And she called me the next day. We had a great conversation and it eventually led to this, this job that I'm about to do now. So that was one huge shift. I wouldn't have done that. So to, to boil it down to the tiniest component parts, if somebody were to ask you in a nutshell, in a sentence, how did you get the job as a first AD, one of your first big first AD gigs on a huge Apple show, the response is, I sent somebody a text message. <laughs> yeah, email. It pretty yeah. much boils down to that, right? Or sent them an email. But it yeah. started with the referral, finding out who the person was to target at the time. But the most important thing, I want to put this in giant bold letters with asterisk 72 point font. Your mindset was, I'm going to provide value to this person. It wasn't, hey, look at me. I'm amazing. You should be choosing me. It was, here's why you're amazing. And here's why I admire you and how your work has inspired me. 
And what I love about this, and we've talked about this a lot in our classes recently, because you've seen it happen to all the students, the same as everybody else. They always want to reach out and set up the call or set up the meeting. And I'm like, dear God, stop doing that. Ask for the littlest thing possible to start the conversation. And what's been happening over and over is the other person is saying, you know what, let's just chat. Let's get on a call. And it removes all the burden. Same thing happened to you. Yeah, that was the next, the first email I sent and was uh, to some, another assistant director who's uh, a little bit ahead of me in terms of she's now directed, you know, at least like 10 episodes of television. She's really busy. And um, I've always sort of like, we, we know mutual people in common, but we've never had a conversation. So I didn't know if she would remember my name, but I reached out to her, uh, provided value. I watched some of what she had directed, commented on what she had directed. I just kind of followed exactly what, you know, we discussed and um, reached out to her and she, uh, you know, within a few hours wrote back, said, oh yeah, you know, I'm really busy. I'm editing like five different things right now, but how about, you know, not this weekend, but the following weekend, we have a call. I was like, and I didn't answer for a call. They just said, can I ask you one or two questions about your, so now we're having a call. It's like magic. It kind of is. Then she followed up and said, you know what? Let's not do this email thing. I'm not great at responding to emails. Here's my phone number. That happened the other day too. So I love it. So in short, if you had been sitting around working on the pilot script or doing this or that, or just kind of waiting for an opportunity to happen, would you be on the Apple show? Because sometimes that does just happen. You put yourself out into the world, you've worked with people in the past, and then randomly you get a text message or a phone call because somebody heard about you six months ago or a year ago, your resume gets on a pile, you just magically get the Apple show. Would that have happened in this case? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. So just to clarify, you created the opportunity that was handed to you. Yes. Do you feel confident that as soon as this job is over, you can create the next one? Yeah. And do you feel ready to take on that next opportunity, the one that you create that just happens to land in your lap one day? I do. Good. That's the whole point of this process. It's an ugly process. Digging into some really ugly, nasty stuff, and it's not fun. But you show up, you keep doing the work, you allow yourself to be pushed into that discomfort zone, and here we are. And the cool thing is you and I are probably going to be doing a follow-up to this in a year or two or three when all of a sudden you're working on all the big shows as the, the next big female director in television. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. The question is, do you have any doubt about that whatsoever? <laughs> you know, I still have these little bit of reservation. I'm not quite where I'm with that first AD thing, but I, I am going into it feeling like I'm not just a first AD. I'm, I'm a first AD director. So that's definitely a big improvement. Excellent. Well, good for you. Uh, so the, the last question, last formal question that I want to ask is I want you to assume that right now there's another Sam Lavin that's listening, very similar position to where you were about a year ago. And they're thinking, my God, this is me. I'm dealing with all the same crap. And I just, I thought I was never going to get out of it. And I believed all this BS that was in my head. What advice would you give that Sam? That is about your mindset. It's about really knowing what the next right thing to do is that's in front of you and really being clear and focused about that because that's what gives the confidence and, and shifts your mindset. That's the biggest shift for me, um, not underselling myself and really, you know, taking, taking those steps just gave, gave me a lot of confidence and, you know, feeling like I was, I was actually providing value and I wasn't just begging for a job. All of that in the focus gym. You're supposed to say in the oh, focus yeah, gym. Oh, yeah. No, seriously, though? <laughs> the focus gym. 
And they, I, you know, of course I promote the focus gym because I need the focus gym. And if I'm the only one in the focus gym, then it doesn't really, you know, I do it. Believe me, I sit there sometimes by myself in the focus gym. I have too. It, it's funny. Even, that even works. When you know that somebody might, it's just like going to the library. Even if you're all by yourself in this giant room, you know, somebody might come in and see you not working or studying. So I might as well study. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Focus gym has the same effect. I, I used to do it all the time. And the bummer for me is that because of all the legalities and security issues with uh, Sony and Cobra Kai, I've kind of had to just remove myself from the gym. But you and I used to be in it all the time uh, before I was on the show. And even if somebody canceled, I would just have the little window in the corner. I'm like, oh, they might show up and they can't see that I'm secretly really lazy and unmotivated. So I got to be working on stuff. Right, right, right. No, I know. I do it. Like today, I was like, I'm in the gym today. And I Blast it out. So what am I going to do? Like not be in the gym today? I have to be in the gym. All about accountability. I love it. So is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you would like me to ask or that you'd want to talk about, about this whole journey before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I mean, just that, it, I mean, I, it's not about like, so I'm just, I'm excited to tell people about it because I've told several of my friends about it and I think it can work for any industry. And I think it's, it really is all about the mindset focus, you know, putting these certain pieces into place and, um, you know, it's just, it's just unbelievable the amount of focus and clarity that I have now. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything to ask. I, that's, I've just, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I'm talking about some weird cult. I was talking to one of the other people. <laughs> 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 because I'm like, I just watched this cult show recently that was on, I forget what it's called, whatever. And I'm like, I keep talking about this thing, like this focus gym and like, like, you know, doing these things and focus and clarity. And like, do I sound like a weird, but honestly, like there's nothing, there's no selling. There's nothing to do. It's just literally something that's made my life a lot better. And so I just want to tell people that because it's moved my life tremendously in the past year or however long it's been. All right. Well, it's been an exciting journey. And I can tell you with a high level of confidence that the first time you and I talked and we had our little 30 minute introductory uh, meet and greet call, I'm like, yeah, I think she's going to get a lot out of this. I have, a, I have a pretty good sense of character and I'm not always right. And every once in a while, I get really excited about a student and they kind of peter out and not show up and not really get something out of it. But I would say the vast majority do. But then I also think to myself, is this going to be a podcast? I think this, I think this might be a podcast eventually. And I just, I had that feeling with you. Um, but I, I, I kept waiting for the post when you said just landed the big giant first AD gig. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, yep, there it is. All right. Now it's time to schedule. So I'm, I'm glad that we're here. And like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to a follow-up, uh, you know, too. whether it's a year, two years, three years, you know, we, we, nobody knows what the timeline is. And as soon as you release control of the timeline and you focus on putting in the effort it becomes, becomes a little bit easier and you just have to be patient and uh, that time will come. And I think we'll be having that follow-up conversation at some point. I'm looking forward to it for sure. On that note, if anybody is listening today that is super inspired by what you've accomplished, where you are, what you're doing and where you're going, and they want to connect with you directly and of course provide you value when they connect <laughs> with you, um, how can they do that? What's the easiest way to reach you? Absolutely. I would say email. My email address is fairfight, F-A-I-R-F-I-G-H-T, just uh, like the two words, fairfight. Uh, at mac.com. So yeah, feel free. Easy enough. So it's, uh, they don't have to spend all the time like going on the web and figuring out, well, let me go to LinkedIn and like none of that crap. Like, let's just have conversations like human beings. Um, but again, I warn anybody that wants to do it, learn how to provide some value so you can build a relationship and not just ask, ask, ask. That's something you've learned how to do well. Um, so on that note, uh, really excited about this conversation today. I'm glad that I've been able to to provide a little bit of guidance and support at the end of the day, like I tell everybody else, 
first call, the first video, the whole program. There's two people on this call. Only one person can help you. And spoiler alert, it's not me. So <laughs> you're here because of you. I just kind of helped guide you along the path and maybe maybe shorten the learning curve a step or two. But um, you're here because of you. So I want to make sure that you get you get the credit and you should be very proud of what you've accomplished so far. Thank you. Appreciate it. On that note, I appreciate your time and I thank you so much for being here. All right. Thank you, Zach. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.